cliffcentral.com. Firing it up with Nando's this morning. That's what we're doing on cliffcentral.com. And uh, you are live with us on this beautiful spring morning to talk about some of the things that are going on. We've got about a month and a half until municipal and local, local elections. So politics should be on your mind at this point. And we'll be talking, among other things, uh, this morning to, among other people, to Dumodenga, Pumi Mashiho, and later on to a guy called Paul Jacobson in the Cape, who is standing for nomination for award there. But uh, first of all, welcome, Dumo. How are you? I am good in you, Gareth, and thanks for having me. Good no, to be sure. back. It's always nice to see you. And um, what's been happening in, in your political world since the last time we spoke to you? Uh, are you still out there doing your podcast, making some noise, drumming up people, getting them thinking about the important issues? Yes, uh, as always, uh, do it on Twitter, um, on the Man Patriot Twitter, and on my personal Twitter. And I also um, also do it on the podcast as well. We have a show that gets released every Monday at 6 o'clock. So, um, yeah, we're getting some good reaction and good traction there. Very, very good. So, uh, Pumi, um, how, how do you think things are shaping up ahead of these municipal and local elections? Because we know you've said for the longest time people must stand up, they must be counted, they must take a lead because no one else is going to show up if we don't. But also that... Local and municipal elections are really where the rubber hits the road. That's where it matters. The national leadership, who cares? You know, we were joking about how Cyril spoke on Sunday and nobody really paid any attention. Um, but at the local level, people's problems become very real. You know, if the, if the road is broken, if the, the electricity doesn't work, if the water doesn't run, if the garbage isn't collected, and if you don't have a clean environment around you, that is a serious problem, and everybody has to deal with that. So these local and municipal elections are in some ways far more important than the national and provincial ones, right? Absolutely, and the thing I've been thinking a lot about, <clears throat> sorry, and I'd love to hear everybody's opinions on this, mm. is we had, we've now had two series of people running for mayoral opportunities mm -hmm. in Joburg and in Cape Town. I want to know what people want the campaign platforms to be about, right? So we see the politicians come up, but w what matters? What matters to the guys? What, I what is it that you want to hear, to see, that'll make you say, yeah, I'll vote for this guy? Well, that's interesting. I mean, wh what would make you vote for somebody, Duma? What would, what would make you go, okay, I, this is the person who's convinced me that they deserve my vote? Is it their ideology? Uh, is it their practical skills? Is it their... their their slate of promises, because we always get lots of promises and very little delivery. Right. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, it, it's a lot of things for me. So if it's a municipal election, so what you're looking for is for a party that um, has a good track record and, you know, in just managing the municipality, right, you know, fixing the potholes, you know, the basics, you know, the robots that have to be working, uh, all of those type of things. Um, so I remember back, I think in the last municipal elections, um, I did vote and I voted for the DA because the DA seems like they had a very good track record um, in Cape Town. So that's why I voted for them. But then at a national level, it's a totally different ball game altogether. So I think, um, you know, uh, people will vote for many different reasons. Um, it's just that in, in my mind, I, I, cop, I put it in different compartments. So... And it at least gives me some flexibility. So on a national level, I will look at political ideology, see how they want the economy to be managed and so forth. And that'll matter more. But at principle, can you just get the job done right, really? That's what, that's what I'm mainly looking for.
Hmm. Are we realistic about it? You know, <clears throat> Gareth, we were talking about people and owning big cars. And the, are we realistic about what a local municipality, a local ward can actually get done given what access to capital they have? So if you consider that we, we live in a country where only, what, 40% of the people are employed, mm-hmm. that means in Johannesburg, of the million people living in Johannesburg, you know, a very small percentage of them are the people that are employed, are able to pay their rates and taxes, are able to contribute beyond just, you know, because that's what the municipal uses as its budget. Are we realistic about what we can achieve, what those that municipality can do, can achieve well, with the little access that they have? This is the thing that frustrates me the most, and, and perhaps both of you can help me understand this a little bit better, because we have a system where the, the, the really important connection is the local and municipal. That's why I opened up with that question. That's the thing that makes the most difference in our lives. If, if, there's, if the local school is a disaster, if the local hospital doesn't work, if the road is full of potholes, those are the things that affect us. We don't really care about what they talk about in Parliament every day or you know, what kinds of COVID regulations or any of that shit they're making. The real issues for us are the local and municipal issues. And yet the slices of the budget that the local people get are probably not as big as the budget that goes to the national. So it's almost like an inverse situation when it comes to the money. We have lots and lots of tax revenue in this country. SARS is very efficient in, in many ways. In fact, I think SARS is definitely the most efficient of the African tax collectors. Uh, so the other countries on this continent don't do it nearly as well as SARS do. They have a lot of competent people at SARS, despite Tom Moyani coming in to try and hollow it out. And we have enough people who are paying tax. I mean, not by any means enough sustainably forever, but we have people who are paying tax and there's enough money in the system. Problem is that money is being used so badly and it's going to the wrong places and it's going to the wrong people who are stealing it, frankly. So I don't know that we don't have the resources. You know, if you look at, at how those people that we were talking about this morning live, Pumi, they, those are the people who are already paying if they, if they are tax, you know, Uh, compliant compliant, law-abiding citizens those people are already only getting maybe 30 to 40 percent of the total money they make because if you consider electricity tariffs local rates and taxes the actual state tax that you have to pay private schooling private uh, hospitals all that stuff if you add all of that together those people are probably only getting take-home pay of about 30 to 40 percent of what their salary bill says so they, they're more than paying their share. You know, that's why I get annoyed when people say taxes. We need to do something about taxes. Taxes in this country are already really high for people. And they're not getting value from them. And if, if, if that money, if I'm giving away, if, if, sorry, not giving away, if more than half of the money I earn in a year is being stolen from me by SARS and I see nothing for it, then I'm going to start getting very frustrated. Then I'm going to stop being tax compliant. And you see that happen in countries all over the world. The minute the tax threshold gets too high that it's unbearable, people just stop complying. And that's what SARS is going to face if they push up the taxes. Now, in a local or municipal sense, how much of our money is actually going into that municipality? And how much of it goes up to national treasury and then gets redistributed? We know the answer. So I think that's that's actually where we also begin. You know, 
advocating for standing mm -hmm. and being part of the council for me is yes. is one of the ways that you you hold the accountability but the other way that you do it is get to know how your council works get to know how your city council works get to know how your municipality works so that you can say actually you know because they have these things they're open you know when the budget vote is happening you can go to to you can, you can listen yeah. in you can you can actually get the transcripts if you can't show up on the day you can get the transcripts but know what the budget votes are for what people are advocating for what they're saying okay so we've collected X amount in taxes in, in revenue, and this is what we're going to be doing with that revenue. Complain about the potholes, but being involved is more than just voting, showing up and putting across. It's about knowing what needs to happen, knowing who the person is, because again, in the, in the city council, there's lots of different people who all are accountable for different parts of the city's running, so that you can hold them accountable, so that you can like phone them up in their office and bother them until you, think, you get something done. Do you think that money is part of the problem here, Dumo? Um, money uh, is part of the problem, but it's not the whole thing. Um, I think um, just to go back to what was being said earlier, uh, a lot of people are paying a lot in tax with regards to, um, you know, levies and everything like that. And they're not seeing the services being done. And then as a result of that, what happens? Um, uh, you'll get a lot of voluntarism um, occurring. So um, I don't know if you saw what happened in Harry Smith where there was sewage. Mm -hmm. They had sewage problems for quite a long time. Municipality did nothing about it. And mm -hmm. over and above what they were earning, they decided to fix um, the sewage pipes themselves. And I think a lot of uh, communities are starting to do that and realize that which i think is a which i think is a good thing and then also going to pumi's point with regards to getting involved I, I agree with getting involved however i just feel that like i think people may have the perception that they don't have time because i mean as you said you need to hold people accountable right. at a local level and i think holding them accountable at a local level has to be made much more accessible as well um, I know a few people who actually are involved at a local level and um, it, they, they, you know, it takes quite a bit of their time. And I think, um, you know, communities probably need to come together and they need to like appoint someone who is going to hold the municipality accountable for the promises that they, that they make. And uh, once that is done, I think we will see better progress. But I just think that um, at this point in time, you've got one, uh, one set of people who are frustrated, they're paying so much money, and they're just like, you know what, I don't mm. care. And as a result, they actually start connecting um, illegally to the grid for electricity. I've seen that happen yeah, yeah. because uh, the prices Absolutely. are going off the charts and everything like that. Mm. All right. Well, I mean, we've got a month and a half of campaigning, and hopefully these, these politicians and the ordinary people who will stand, and I hope there are lots of them. I really do. I think it's great that uh, Musi Maimani and his party are, are behind these guys too because they're going to need a little bit of political education. It's fine to have all the willpower in the world, but politics is a messy game, and there's lots of compromise involved. So I'm all for indiv independent um, individuals standing for election and making a difference. And I hope that it starts to happen at that level because that's really where it will make the biggest difference. Now, there are a few things on your agenda, Dumo. So let's get straight into those. What do you make of the vaccine mandates and their ethical implications? Now, first of all, we don't have a national mandate, and the president's been quite clear about this, and I think it's to his credit that he said, you know what, we're going to make these vaccines as easy for people to get as possible, but – he hasn't said you have to get it, although there are there are sounds and ideas and movements and motions coming out of the government machine 
that indicate that there may be some move towards vaccine mandates. We know that this is happening in America. Joe Biden's just stipulated that companies with more than 100 employees have to make sure that those employees are vaccinated. Now, what do you think of these vaccine mandates? Where do you think we're at in South Africa? And where do you think it's going to go? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very, very touchy subject and also a complex issue as well. So I think where we are in South Africa right now is that I think we're at the point where um, the vaccines are available and they they want to drive up vaccination rates. Um, that's the main objective. So they I think the government doesn't want to introduce a national mandate because I think that could be challenged in court. Um, and it may look bad on them. So what has happened as a result is that they've said that they have going to introduce some digital certificate, as they call it, and many people have interpreted that as a vaccine passport. And now you see private businesses, some of them, not all, are taking part in this. Uh, there are a few companies who have mandated that their employees should get uh, vaccinated, and that has also sparked a lot of controversy as well. So I think um, what we're seeing is that the private sector, um, in the private sector, there will be those people who will say that, yes, we, if you want to use our facilities or whatever, going to concerts or whatever, you have to have this uh, vaccine passport. And I think it's going to end at that point. And I think what the government is hoping for is that they don't have to uh, implement it on a national level because then again it's, it's going to be very to, hard to police um, and, and, court. and how do we how do we uh, feel about this like if if they if they created a mandate where we all have to um, be vaccinated and we're, we're, I mean listen I understand the idea of herd immunity will speed us along to not have to wear these masks anymore and to get back to some semblance of normality also businesses can then go about their business without having to worry because the vaccine is the best protection I think this is undeniable. It's the best protection that you can have against being hospitalized and dying from COVID. Those are the things people are afraid of. If you just get a sniffle because you, you catch COVID, but it doesn't affect you badly, we can all deal with that, right? We all get the flu and we all get colds, but none of us want to go to hospital. None of us want to die. And although the chances of that are small, we want to make them even smaller so we can get rid of all these stupid regulations, come out of the state of, of disaster and move on with our lives. I think that this is where capitalism is going to capitalism is going to um, be the sense that prevails here because we've already seen it, you know, with Discovery, with Sunlam also came out and said, and I saw a circular a couple of days ago from a mining company mm. that those guys only care about their profits. They care about their work work rate and their profits. And they're just going, listen, the sooner I can get most of my people back into the workplace, mm-hmm. the better, because then we can produce what we need to produce. Therefore, they're just saying, listen, you've got to, you don't have to be vaccinated. But if you're not vaccinated, what I want to see is I want to see your COVID results every seven days that says you are not exposing the rest of my workforce. And those people who are vaccinated, Come back into the office, come and do the work that you're supposed to be doing. Let's get production back in gear, which, you know, fascinatingly for me in South Africa, everybody is complaining about how our economy is affected, the slowdown in the economy. And yet we're not all working towards how do we get the economy back on stream? How do we get more people back to work? The people who did have jobs, how do well, we get don't them back we just, to work? Don't, don't we just listen to those capitalists you were just talking about? Because they'll know how to mm. get the business back on stream. 
That's exactly it. And, you know, ironically, the capitalists are going to save us in this regard. Well, usually they save a society. That's unfortunately because the motivation for most human beings is profit. And also, you care about your staff if you need them at work. And you will, you will do what is required. So a lot of people, are, I think, in, in the corporate world are quite grateful for, certainly in America this is the case, for that vaccine mandate from Biden because it takes the responsibility out of their hands. They're like, well, now you've got, get, got to get vaccinated. So it means they don't have to have this argument with their staff. But I don't know. I mean, I think there is there's, you're a libertarian, Dumo. Do you feel that any state has the right to tell every citizen to do a certain thing to their body. I mean, can the, at the extreme end of this, you know, you end up with these crazy arguments about can the state force everyone to take LSD, for example, because it would make people a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot more interesting. Could, because this, it, it is essentially doing that. And, and, you know, then there are the other people on the other side of the argument who say, oh, but you didn't have a say when you were a child about measles and mumps and rubella and you got the vaccination. And you had no, you had no authority to say, I don't want that polio vaccines. You didn't get to say, well, I don't want the polio vaccine because it was a, a, a national good or a, or a global good even. So where do you stand on this? Right. So, I mean, as a libertarian, um, the, the main position is that, uh, the state can't force people to uh, perform certain activities, even if that activity is going to benefit the individual or the group, um, unless it's done via consent. So I think this is um, uh, an important issue, is that consent is the main thing here um, that needs to be taken into consideration. Now, if you look at the polio vaccines and all these other vaccines, yeah, they're right when they mentioned that, well, we didn't have a say. Usually we're too young and our parents did it on our behalf because we needed the guidance of our parents when we were babies and stuff like that. But now when you're older, I think um, the whole idea of taking the vaccine has to be done um, with regards to consent. And, I'll, right. and I think the, the main thing that needs to be um, considered here is that, yes, when you do your own research, and given what you said about the vaccines now, um, that it actually protects us against hospitalizations and death, you know, and, you know, if someone, someone can look at that information and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take the vaccine because, you know, I, I want to avoid that. But when you force it, the problem is that now you undermine bodily autonomy and you mm -hmm. undermine consent. And when you undermine those things to achieve an objective, you kind of get this Machiavellian um, um, ideal, which is that the ends justify the means. And when you're on that path, then then what's stopping the state from forcing us to go to gym one hour a day and we're queuing outside of Virgin Active? Um, because we have to have we have to have this one hour of gym per day or something like that because obesity is a problem, diabetes is a problem, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but ironically, so, I mean, the irony is they'll never do anything about obesity or about overeating or about diabetes or any of those things because they know they can't. First of all, and second of all, the the, the people will, uh, especially those fat people, will will hound them out of office and try to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, so that's the thing. You know, you just go on the slippery slope. So just keep oh, yeah, it at a consent how level. About, how about these people who have been vaccinated? And this is always interesting to me. It's like, why are the vaccinated people the ones who are most worried about other people getting the vaccine? Surely if you've been vaccinated, you've done the best you can to make sure you're safe. And if you believe in that vaccine, what does it matter to you whether other people are vaccinated or not? Right. Yeah, that's actually a, a good point. I think um, 
I think for, for, for me, what I've seen is a lot of them are coming from a good place. They, 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 they care about others and they feel that it's their moral duty to tell everyone that, hey, you should get vaccinated because they feel that if they don't say anything about it and they kept it to themselves, then they wouldn't be doing society a good favor. However, there's a flip side to that as well, because if you're going to be going out on social media, um, virtue signaling, showing everyone that you got vaccinated, it comes off as if you're being very obnoxious as well. And then when that happens, people get to, they get put off by the idea, by the idea of getting vaccinated, which actually becomes counterproductive in the long run. So I think, I think, um, with, from that point of view, um, yes, they've taken the vaccine. Um, they are protected from what, um, the evidence has stated. But now if you want others to get vac- to be vaccinated, you know, you've got to be smart. And, and how about, about this? And also, how about nobody seems to be talking about natural immunity? No one seems to be talking about the fact that there are many, perhaps millions of South Africans who have already had COVID and survived and have, have now got potentially stronger immunity than the vaccine would provide. Those people should also be given a COVID vaccine passport, surely, because they've also done their bit in getting us to herd immunity. In fact, they might have done the real heavy lifting because we don't know the percentage of resistance that the vaccine gives you versus the percentage of resistance that your own body and the T-cell immunity that you might have gives you. No one's talking about that, which seems to me a bit odd, because if this is all about the science and it's all about medicine, then surely that part of the argument should be front and center, because that's what saved humanity in every plague that came before this one. Right. I think the most fascinating thing, though, that, that we hardly ever talk about is how political the idea of vaccines have become. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's no longer just about, yep. I mean, Dumo, you say, you know, as a libertarian. Yeah. And this this thing yeah. that suddenly this entire issue of health, economy, uh, autonomy, mm-hmm. and consent has actually converged into being a political fight that everybody is having. Every you know, the people who come across as obnoxious is because you're having a political discussion disguised as a health discussion. That's one of the things that makes it so volatile, I think, at the moment for everybody. And you hear a lot of people saying, oh, but people have been getting vaccinated all their lives. We're vaccinated as babies. That was not as political as it has become. And part of the reason why it is so political at the moment is also access to information, you know, and the fact that everybody has a megaphone, that everybody's opinion can be broadcast Mm -hmm. to whether they have information or not, that they all have this megaphone where their opinions can be broadcast to everybody and they can be tainted with whatever their, you know, political affiliation is. And, And that, for me, is what has become so problematic around this. It is. It's such a, an argument, and I can see it happening everywhere in families, uh, at workplaces, um, politically, in in the halls of power, and in 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 small people's, uh, you know, in in people's small shacks. Frankly, all over the country, you can see people arguing about this stuff because there are very very strong opinions. There are people who believe that bodily autonomy and a person's right to choose is the most impo- important thing, and then there are people who think, well, if there's a, a national or a or a global good that needs to be achieved, then screw your feelings about your own personal space. You're, you're putting other people at risk. The, these are the two arguments, and I don't think they're going to meet anytime soon. So it's going to 
further divide people in an area that we weren't even aware we should be divided before recently. So what about this? Because Pumi wants to know about our political parties and how they're beginning to run the country by proxy of the judiciary. This is a big problem. And I'd like to hear both of your thoughts on this because we see so many of our political battles being resolved in the court because sometimes that's the only way we can actually make people accountable for starters. Um, and second of all, it, it, it clogs up the system. Like the courts should really be there to adjudicate Rarely in criminal matters in an ideal society, you want as few criminal matters as possible because there should be laws which are enforceable and those laws which are enforceable should be simple and straightforward. You shouldn't have to have people clogging up the court system for breaking COVID regulations. But the reality is that criminal cases take up some of that. Really, the court's job is to adjudicate between me and Dumo when we have a dispute between each other, which we need the state to get involved in, or at least a judge to adjudicate between us about. And sometimes those can even be solved outside of the court system with conciliation, mediation, arbitration. Instead, the constitutional court finds itself busy with political issues 90% of the time. Uh, many of the smaller courts, the, the magistrates and the, and, the, and the high courts, are also engaged in political battles over things that should be solved by the politicians themselves, but they seem unwilling. In the legislature. Unwilling. Let them fight exactly. it out in the legislature. Unwilling or unable. So where where is the slog jam <laughs> happening and why is it happening? I read a very interesting um, article in the Washington Post mm -hmm. about a case happening in America, obviously, which is what brought me to that idea. Because I think one of the things we see a lot in South Africa now is the DA is unhappy with the IEC opening this up, you know, opening up to allow political parties to add to their lists or change their lists or, you know, the first thing they do is go to court. And I'm going, but surely the IEC and the DA and all the various political parties, they should be arguing this in the legislature because no, that you, is no, who, no, and you, then the court says, then the court says, take it back to the legislature, yeah, you but know, you, but you take it back to the because, legislature. Because the party that was in dereliction of duty that was meant to hand it its candidate list and pay for those deposits was the ANC and they're also the majority in the legislature. So guess what? They're just going to stand up for themselves because they know this is political survival. So actually, the DA had to in that case don't you think i mean no you think the anc gonna go let oh, them okay. argue it out right, with wrong. the anc in the legislature what you have now done is and you've it, taken the, and the when court it comes to a, and you when it comes to a vote and you have made the court that this is politics this is politics part of politics is about having the ability to convince the person on the other side of the table but they but individually and but collectively it's, but it's, but it it's is not. about convincing them to move to your point but when you then say to the court where does it stop where does it then stop where the da says in the legislature we are outvoted and outnumbered therefore all of the things that we wish we could push through the, the legislature we're going to bring to court no, where they, does it stop but they can't create legislation in this case it's clear that the anc didn't fulfill the requirements of what the iec required them to do so the iec changed their minds and bent to the will of the anc that is something actionable I think that they should be held account in the, to account in the court. Thank God we have the courts. Otherwise, they would do whatever they wanted and ride roughshod over every single rule. Where does it stop? 
Well, the rules of the IEC, which is what Terry, when Terry came out to say, this is what the rules say, we open it up and the court has come back to us to say we have this window period. And because we now have this window, this is how we're going to open it up. It is legislated that the IEC can do that, right? And then the DA says in the legislature, we're going to be outvoted if we say no to this particular thing. Therefore, we are taking it to court. Yeah, but... So let me ask you this. Who I mean, is the dispute between? The court is supposed to be an arbiter between two disputing parties. Right. Who, who are they disputing? Well, in this who case... Is, so the, the DA is the one party, and the dispute is with? Well, in this case, it's the IEC, because the IEC have just bent to the ANC's ways. Uh, no, the IEC has said the rules are clear. The rules say if we reopen, this, these are the parameters under which we have to reopen. And the DA is saying, I am unhappy with these parameters. I am unhappy with these parameters, which are a legislative issue. What do you, what do you think about this, Duma? Because there are people who say that the IEC is just another branch of the ANC because they've, they, they preside over the, the, the elections as far as independent and free, free and fair elections go, but they also are mostly appointed by people inside the legislature and by people who are largely biased in, in favor of the ANC, which is why the ANC can do whatever it wants. Oh, we didn't submit our candidate list before the, the, the due date. That doesn't matter. We'll just get the IEC to give us an extension. That's how they look at it. Right. Right. Um, th- that is one way of looking at it. I think um, one could see the IEC as a branch of the ANC, given what you've mentioned. But I also think that, you know, I, will, I, I just, because while um, you were discussing this with Pumi, I thought, well, what if the roles were reversed? Would the ANC actually go to court? Course and would. I'll be like, yeah, they would go to court uh, because of the fact that they were unhappy with what they have seen. And then it goes back to the original problem of, um, you know, um, where the judiciary is um, ruling by proxy. I, I, don't, I think for me, this is unavoidable because I think given the, the ideologies that are involved, um, the ANC has a specific ideology, so does the DA. I don't think these guys are going to um, meet halfway on, on this issue as well. Because this is elections, you know, this is something that's going to affect them for the next five years. Yes. You know, there's going to be mayors, there's going to be salaries and everything well, like that. I so believe, I believe won't in, be, mm-hmm. in 90%, uh, sorry, not 90%, in 90 of the 256 odd municipalities in the country, the ANC did not submit a single candidate. Now, you could say what you want about courts or the IEC or the DA being like Karens, which, I mean, some people have said here. But, and that's, that's, that's possible that they are. But the reality is how can you – your whole job in politics is to make sure that you have a candidate in a ward. Now, I ask you with tears in my eyes. You could take to the horse to water. You can't make a drink. The ANC are already the governing party in the majority of these places. Why are they incapable – of actually getting their candidate list in on time. I mean, this is like, Pumi, you, you always say, like for work, arrive on time. These guys couldn't even do that. And that, for me, is, is, is not the problem. Do they have an extra week to submit it? Can they submit it? We don't know. We are waiting yet to see. Mm-hmm. My problem is that when you are happy with one judgment, yeah. You are happy with one part of a judgment. And the second, the corollary part of that judgment, you are unhappy with. And instead of fighting out in the correct place, in the correct manner and the correct way, you want to go back to the place and to a different place to say, actually, there's a problem with this act. 
part of the judgment. And this is, so the IEC is just one okay. of many cases yeah. where we see when they are happy with a particular part of the judgment, then the court system works. When they are unhappy with it, actually then it doesn't work. But also the fact that they bring it to court where they actually do have a way out in the legislature. They are part of this legislature. Mm-hmm. They have... They have the the tools at hand, but because in that space they are unable to get their way, they then want to rule by proxy by making the courts an arbiter of something that actually the court does not have jurisdiction over. Well, then, then these politicians, first and foremost, get your act together. Why are you embarrassing your, yourselves and everybody else in this country by not being able to do things on time, first of all? Then after that, whatever happens, that blame still rests fairly and squarely with the ANC. Get your shit together. You people are complete fucking morons. Like, can we not have you doing the right thing and getting onto these lists in time? That's all we're asking you. You want to stand for election? There are probably people who vote for you. You have to meet them halfway. Fair enough. Let's look at Andrew's point here. He says, the ANC's last chance to be in government, as most South Africans are cut, fallen, tired of the party, they did nothing to South Africa, so this time they must be voted out of government. I think that's probably, that's probably also why they want to postpone the elections. And you know they blamed COVID and they spoke. But the ANC is really in a very bad place at the moment. You could see it with Pule Mabe yesterday. Do you have any comments on those, uh, those utterances from him? He looked very angry. He was having a, a bit of a tirade about not being... Um, about the ANC not being able to pay their, their people at Lutuli House and about how their money's mm. run out and they're not getting funding. You can see the, the tearing in the fabric, right, Pums? The tearing in the fabric, it's been imploding for years. We've mm. been, it's like watching a, a, a train crash very slowly in slow motion. We've been watching it. Unfortunately, as you know, my point of view with this is unfortunately as inept as they are, Nobody is stepping into the space and giving an alternative to the people. That, that, that for me is, is the part that's, that's just mind blowing is that even as they are this inept, the opportunity being so available to all of the other political parties, they're not taking, they're not taking the, the space. They're okay. not making it, they're not converting. So, they're not so, converting the goals. So let's focus less on the ANC and their implosion and more on whether the, mm. uh, whether the others have better ideas. Duma, do you have anything to add to that before we move on? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think I, I have to just disagree with Pumi there on the other parties. I think they are, I think the parties are taking advantage of it um, in many different ways. Look, I'm not advocating for any political party here, but I've seen Herman Mashaba and Action say, um, they are actually doing some work with regards to um, trying to take advantage of that space. I mean, I, every, when I drive, I see them around. Mm. So um, just green everywhere, you know. Mm. Um, you would think that the Springboks are playing, but it's actually actually say <laughs> so. It's a of a lime, <laughs> sort of a lime green as opposed to. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not colorblind, but someone who's colorblind would think that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think you know. The, 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 let me just say, there is at least one party that's doing it. Maybe, I think, um, and also. To um, just to add to Pumi's point as well is that yes, perhaps the political parties could be doing more. Um, I think the DA's campaign, I mean, given what, what they did in 2014 with their campaigning, mm-hmm. and compared to now, I think it's a bit lackluster as well. They should be doing more 
That's what I think. The bigger party should be doing more. EFF is also doing some stuff as well. But, uh, I, I, yeah, they could be doing much better in, in terms of taking advantage. Okay. All right. Um, just one other thing Dude, here. They're at the Olympics, and yeah. the incumbent is crippled. Yeah, correct. That's exactly right, Pums. And so the, the incumbent at the Paralympics. So that that person is is taking part in the in the Olympics Olympics, and and you should be able to mount a better opposition. You should be able to put a better race up for yourself. Anyway, you know how when you go to the horse races with I, I don't know if you know the whole of South Africa at least watches some of the Durban July. Mm-hmm. You know how before the race yeah. all the horses are parading. Yes. And you get to see all the parading horses and to yeah. make a decision about who you're going to bet, you're going to put your money on. Yes. I feel like we can see the, the horse that won last year is, is tired and it's mangy and, and it's limping. But what we also don't see is, is we don't see how fantastic and fit and able to take the race the other horses are. You know, it's it's they they're just hanging around in the back there somewhere. They're kind of going, yeah. People know that that guy, you know, people know that that horse isn't going to win, so they're going to try something else. But they're not saying, look how fit and ready and able my horse is. That's what I'm missing. Here's an email I got from Nikita, and she wants two specific questions addressed this morning by uh, Dumo and Pumi. So first of all. How does the DA rebrand itself to no longer be considered the white party? Is it a legacy thing that is stuck despite the, the changing demographics and advertising their members of color? It doesn't seem to change public perception. So we'll start with that one, and then we'll get on to the other question in a second. Uh, Dumo, you go first. What do you think the DA's problem, if they have a problem, and if you think it's a serious problem still about this whole identity politics thing? I, I think, in my opinion... Um the, the DA being considered a white party is a, um, a tactic that has been used by their opponents um, in, you know, in the identity politics battle. So what has happened is that they labeled DA as a, a white party and they're trying to get the black vote. So then you got, I remember there was that, um, there was that party with uh, Mampela Rampela, I remember, mm. and when they did that, they joined, and then what did the ANC say? Oh, it's rent a black, it's rent a black. Mm. So all you have to do is, I think it's just in the game of politics where you just smear your opponent <laughs> one way, and then whenever that situation comes where it looks like as if they're trying to rent a black and whatever, you just point it out and say, you see, we told you, we told you. So it's similar to what Donald Trump did with um, Hillary Clinton and all, the, and not even Hillary Clinton, but all the other Republican candidates when he was running in 2016. You know, he gave them a name, and then he just stuck to it. And mm. then whenever those those incidents came up, he, he used it very well. So I think this is something that um, other opponents of the DA have been doing. And I think now that the with now what happened with Musi Maimani and also Thurman Mashab and so forth, those were incidents that kind of confirmed that narrative. So I think for me, whoever started it um, was very smart in terms of just um, the game of politics. Right. And now the DA is struggling to escape it. Yeah, and, and, and they really, they, they fell over themselves to try and es- escape that with uh, Musi Maimone. They tried to just, and they were accepting anyone who came into the party in 2016, even people who didn't share their values, because they just wanted to appear like they weren't a white party. Pums, do you have something to add to that? And it doesn't help them when you have senior members of the party who have quite gravitas coming out and saying, 
you know, we tried this experiment with this black guy. And the experiments didn't work. Right? You, 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 it doesn't do you any favors because whether you like it or not, how people perceive what you say mm. is not necessarily based on the intention with which you say it. So it's important that what you say and what you preach and what you do shows that you you are more than just this one particular thing. So the perception that even they keep reinforcing, there may be a perception. So how do they, how do they change? We cannot how do discount they change the that? fact that. How do they change that? That was yeah. Nikita's question. Like, how do they actually rebrand themselves to not be uh, that, used on that handle that uh, Dumo was mentioning? It's not about rebranding. It's not about rebranding. It's about reprioritizing. It's not about rebranding. It's not about coming out and saying, actually, we're not this, we're not that. It is about reprioritizing what they stand for and how they stand for it. You know, you, you cannot have a senior member of, of your uh, municipal council. What was his, what's his name? J.P. Smith. Mm. Coming out and making such an insensitive joke in a country where you know that the sensitive... Um, well, he was speaking to the the film industry players in Cape Town. And, mm-hmm. you know, the film industry in Cape Town is actually quite a big yeah. sector, yes. job creation and, right. and work and tourism and just kind of coming back onto stream to say, you know, we're, we're still open for business. And the person who was the MC, his last name is Nzelenzele, which is not a difficult surname. No. And JP comes out, and the first thing he says is, thank you to the MC. Dude, I'm not even going to try and say that last name of yours. It's just an unfortunate collection of consonants right next to each other. You should get yourself a nice, easy surname like mine, Smith. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> what? Mm, not great. Not great. And, that, and 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 then the city, when people complain about it, then the city of Cape Town goes on their public platforms, social media platforms, to say, actually, you know, it was it was just a joke, and we spoke to him, and he said it's okay. So, like, get over yourselves. Reinforcing not bad messaging. All right. I, so so. I, I'm afraid. So got, that we, doesn't to, help you. We got to move. We got to move on. Uh, Nikita, I'm going to leave your other question for next time, but. She's saying here, as much as she wanted to hear a critical analysis of the DA's problems, she also says here that the ANC is no longer serving the majority in South Africa, but a lot of people still support Absolutely. it. And will possibly, they'll win again in some places. I don't buy the KFC and the T-shirts argument, because I think South Africans are more astute than uh, even if they're uneducated at school. Perhaps it's worth getting an actual ANC voter on to explain themselves. Now, we're going to try and do that. And just by the way, while we're talking about this, but you also have to accept that a lot of people have opted out of politics. Yeah, that's that's what what you actually yeah. see. Yeah, what yeah. you actually see, and this is the flaw of democracy. Democracy is not the will of the many; it is mm. the will of the many who vote. Yeah, but for me, we so also, when you opt out of voting, we have, we have, you are left with a very small core of people who desperately believe in this mm-hmm. particular party who are able to be mobilized for this party. That's yeah. what you see. Just by the way, we we've tried on. A thousand occasions to get the ANC to come and, and join us on the burning platform. They, they honestly, either they don't, <laughs> either they don't know what they're doing or they don't care. But we, we have not had uh, 
a favorable response from them. Whenever we ask any of the others, we had the Good Party on last week, we had another independent candidate, we've had Action SA on, we've had the DA on, we've had the EFF on, but we just don't get any joy from the ANC. It's almost like they don't care. So hubris. Yeah, it's hubris. It might just be that. We'll see what happens, but we'll keep trying with the ANC. Anyway, I want to move on to Paul Jacobson. He's uh, standing for a nominee in Ward 54 in Seapoint in Cape Town and in opposition to the people who are currently running it. Now, I want to find out what Paul's all about. So welcome, Paul. Nice to have you on the show. How are you? Morning. I, I tuned in a little early, so it was very interesting sitting <laughs> and listening to a bit of politics, which I'm, I'm not a typical politician, so this is quite interesting as an uh, introduction. Oh, all the typical politicians say that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to put me to the test. So tell us why you're, why you're going to um, run for Ward 54 and what your purpose there is, what you're trying to achieve, Paul. Well, you know, Gareth, you know, to be honest, it wasn't uh, my plan. You know, I've been involved with community work for six years, um, and it's probably through default, um, through pressure. You know, I met with about eight, nine political parties uh, through pressure from my own community saying, Paul, you know, you know the challenges of this community better mm-hmm. than, uh, than any other. Um, and actually, I, I took a, a possible candidate with me to see one political party and at that presentation, they all convinced me that I should stand. Gareth, you know, I don't know. I'm just that kind of guy that's committed us, to my community. Because we, we, we like we yeah. like independent uh, politicians on this show, right, Pumi? I mean, we were we were talking Candidates, about we love them. Yeah, we were talking about this just a, a couple of minutes ago. So we're we're in favour of people yeah. who stand up and, and are counted and are willing to make a contribution. But tell us why why you decided to do this and, and, and what kind of community work you were involved in before. Because people say that, like, you know, since Barack Obama, that's yeah. become a way that people kind of virtue signal. What kind of community work have you been doing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's ex- extensive. Actually, I didn't even know what Facebook was until the community called on me and said, Paul, we've got an issue in our, our street here. Uh, there's an uh, illegal parklet parked in our facility here. Can you do something about it? Having grown up in the informal business sector and understanding procedures, they turned to me. Then I got onto Facebook and then I had to deal with people taking, reclaiming our city and uh, other uh, acts. So yes, I've chaired many times uh, community meetings on behalf of previous councillors. Mm-hmm. I've invited uh, JP Smith to various forums. I've engaged with social development many times. I must have introduced probably 20 20 community walks, not like a neighborhood watch, but just to walk and promote the concept of giving with dignity. I've hosted many, many meetings at the Haven Night Shelters where I learned everything that I know today is because engaging with Mr. Hassan Khan. and I just, I, I, I think people think at the moment I'm the counselor because if you look at my phone right throughout the night, I get little small little issues. And, you know, those small little issues, I understand, is what probably aggravates well, people standing up, putting their hand up. I'll tell you what, you're doing more than me. And, and I, I, I love that there are people like you in our communities. Thank God for it, because otherwise we'd get nothing done. But the question is, if you're standing in this ward, what is it that you need in order to achieve the things, and what are those things that you want to achieve uh, that you can't already do? 
Well, the big problem with our community on the Atlantic seaboard is very, uh, perhaps because it's so beautiful here and we've got so many distractions, is that we are not committed as a unified community. There, we so we got so many amazing role players in our SIDS, in our uh, Ratepayers Association. We've got uh, various people um, that take take a role, but we're not united together. And that hopefully, and, and partly I'm to blame because I hold people accountable. I haven't been shy to 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 introduce a rate boycott against the city of Cape Town. I was uh, the ambassador behind that. I've uh, targeted SAPs at the, at the highest level through mm -hmm. the Ombudsman. Um, I've, I've met regularly with the, the Honorable Mayor and his team. So I'm, I'm there to get people to do a job. And if we could all just do a job without making excuses. Mm -hmm. And there are challenges in our lives, but one has to think out of the box. I come from a business background. I don't enjoy politics at all. Yeah. In fact, I've had to do all my stuff. I've had to study for my exams, but I'm more of a community <laughs> activist. I'm a doer. I'm an Aries atypical personality. I get so, my teeth into something. I don't let go until it, what, it, it succeeds. What are the main issues for people on the Atlantic seaboard? What are their main concerns? Because we've got a very interesting collection of people there. We've got obviously lots of foreigners who are not even voters who live there and own some extraordinary properties. We've got beautiful houses. We've got people who are living great lifestyles. We've got people who are probably earning quite a lot of money and then not too far from there and, and let's just focus on them for a minute because i don't i hate these uh, unrelated arguments about oh but what about the people in kailicha they're not living in the in the ward you're trying to represent here what are the issues around people in that ward what do they care about well, like all other communities, is safety and service delivery. Unfortunately, the, you know, this area of the Atlantic seaboard, we once boasted as a, a, a jewel, a mm. pearl of any destination in the world. People gravitated here because of our friendliness, our beautiful uh, natural environment, the mm -hmm. clean air, the water we can drink. But unfortunately, we, uh, the DA here have lost, uh, you know, lost, lost control. What we're seeing, what's happening on the streets, the decay, the People do not want to go out at, at night or in the evening. And I am absolutely embarrassed as a, a community member resident. I have to invite my friends from Kailiche on the weekend to come over to the promenade and walk on our promenade or my foreigners who are coming from Australia and they get a, a, accosted, attacked, harassed. So this Atlantic seaboard is a, a, an invitation to everyone. The privileged people living in this area are privileged because they live in this wonderful, beautiful area. And I think we're all blessed to say, wow, what a privilege to be living this. What's going on? Are there, are there vagrants? Are there homeless people? Are there criminals? What's the story? Yeah, okay. So people not familiar. I mean, the icon of the whole thing is the pinnacle of it is what we call a tent city, for example. Oh, so right outside, outside uh, a SAPS, which is the entrance onto the Atlantic seaboard, we have what, what is now common known as tent city. You have uh, 100, 200 vagrants uh, settling there. And that would be in order, I suppose if it was done in a, a lawful manner, but there's allegations of drug abuse, no regard for, for COVID. So the whole Atlantic from um, uh, Muli Point all the way to Camps Bay is, is set up with settlements, but not only settlements, what happens is when people spend too much time on the street, and that could only be a matter of days, they get affected by the bad element. No sane, dignified human being wants to live on the street. No, of course They're not. very real. Uh, yeah, many reasons why people land up on the streets, well, and it, and it's a sad, sad situation. We've seen we've seen 
all over the world so, how homelessness in, in a certain area just ruins that whole area and the lives of the people who are homeless, obviously. So this is a big concern. Pumi, you want to ask something? So the, the way cities and municipalities are constituted and you're standing for a ward is that it, it kind of cuts across a whole section, a whole lot of different types of people because of, of the spatial planning that we've inherited in this country. And one of the things that, that for me, we're not getting right yet. And, you know, and I think Cape Town shows it more starkly than many other places. Cape Town and Joburg show it very, very starkly. Is we haven't found a way of making sure that and understanding that we're all on the same boat. We're all on the same boat. And if the people at the bottom of the boat behave in a particular way um, and live in a particular way, it affects the people at the top of the boat. It may not be an, a direct effect, but indirectly it affects them. And so we have to find a way of ensuring that the entire ecosystem works for everybody. And one of the things that, that tends to happen is we kind of, you know, JP, you're standing for your ward and you're like, in my ward, this is what we want to see happen. And we actually, what happens over there must happen over there far away from us. And because of that, we're unable to solve holistic problems. I think, you know, it's one of the yeah, things but, that, and, and as you I, say, I, I listen, you know, if, one of if, the things that the DA has struggled with, has struggled with in the city of Cape Town is how to, to ensure that across the board, we give people what they yeah, need, but, but, where they let need me, it. Let me ask you this, Paul, because I think Pumi's making a very valid point, but it irritates me that this is constantly uh, law-abiding taxpayers' problem, that there are people shitting on the street and living in tents on the on the Seapoint Promenade. is is. This is unacceptable. They must be removed. There must be people who brought in, and those people must be removed. I don't care to where. You don't just get to settle wherever you want. I also like the look of the Cape Town Seapoint Promenade. I'm not allowed to just go and set my tent up there, and I guarantee I'd last five minutes if I tried. So how come these people are able to get away with this? Where are the where are the law uh, execution? Where are the p- police to execute the law here? And why are the DA not doing their job? It's it's become a, a political uh, stance. People are, feel that if they have to um, enforce the law or deal with people in a dignified way, they'll be labelled as racist. And I think this is the biggest Too problem. I've so pleaded. What? So get called a racist, yeah. but get rid of the problem. I mean, who, who's really yeah. afraid of being called a racist anymore? Honest to God. Well, it's funny. I was in court the other other day, and and the honourable judge said, "Are we not used to? Are we not thick-skinned enough since 1994 to be labelled things like being a racist?" I, I I'm not thick-skinned enough to be labelled a racist yet. But it was quite interesting that they tried to put in court that we should all be used to be all these days. We are hardened. Well, I mean, uh, um, country. But you know, we're not think so, so Gareth, you know, I, I've I learned a lot from Mr. Sun about being reasonable. We've got two uh, we've got two thought patterns here. One, we can enforce a law and the bylaws are always reasonable because that defends our whole fibre of our society, the integrity of this our is society. What, this is what and then being said. reasonable. So is it reasonable that you come out outside your home and you've got a big mound of human feces or a guy playing with his willy around the corner? With children or you've got around. litter blowing everywhere. Or you, you go out, you walk your dog at 8 in the morning and you get stabbed. Or your carer's head get bashed in on the corner of Marrera in Maine from a guy that's on, on this ongo or tuck that's a new invention. where they, it's, it's outrageous. We've got thousands of incidents of harassment. Women can't go out anymore. Women do not walk the streets of the 
promenade. My friend also, big this is bouncer. Where, isn't this where Cyril, this is yeah. where Cyril used to go for his walks, right? Well, uh, not anymore. You can't walk. Even my big friend Bouncer got on his 60th birthday, his St. Christopher got pulled off his neck in the daytime. He got mugged twice uh, in, in daylight. Our, 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 our main road where we rove, we call it the, the roving the gauntlet from checkers to spa. You mm. do it at your own, uh, your own risk. So it's an absolute embarrassment. So and wh- I, where is law enforcement? I mean, what do they say about this? Because they're afraid of being called racist so they don't enforce the law. That's not how it works. Again, if, if we uphold the law and we treat people with dignity like human beings, you will never be seen to be racist. You'll be seen to be an honorable uh, institution. And the DA fear being labeled. They're too scared. They're trying to get into a different marketing, Kaleti and Younger, and they feel that if they sh- show a stance, a hard stance of giving with dignity, irony, it, it's going to affect their name. The, it's pathetic. The, absolutely I, the pathetic. irony of that is that the people in Kaleti and Guguletu and wherever else aren't even that interested in the those homeless people are in Seapoint. It's not their problem. They don't think of themselves as being akin to those people. They don't want the DA to pander to a bunch of homeless people who are ruining Seapoint. What they want is services in their own neighborhoods, right? It's a Exactly. And, you know, we stand, it's, it's, it can, it's absolutely beautiful on a weekend when we invite all our guests from Kaleche and Younger. They all come, we all gravitate together on a beachfront. And then Cape it's Town, an absolute embarrassment. Let's be, let's be clear about something. Yeah. Cape Town belongs to everybody, right? The people in the townships, the people in the, in the flats, the people in the, in the, in the city bowl, the people on the Atlantic seaboard. It belongs to everybody. And on weekends, you obviously want everybody to enjoy it and during the week, frankly. But these people are a menace to every neighborhood in Cape Town. So why don't they just do what is required? The mayor should be embarrassed that they're allowing a tent city to develop. You know what's going on in California at the moment? People are leaving California because there is such a homeless problem that they're going to places which before they would have considered completely, you know, non-cool and, and, and uninteresting and not nearly as beautiful. Eventually people's tolerance for like the smell of shit is going to drive them out of a great neighborhood and and into much more interesting and far-flung places. Dumo, you've said nothing about this. You want to say something to what Paul's problem is here? Yeah, Paul, um, you've got a big challenge on your hand. Um, yeah, I've got to, I got to admit, it's, it's, gonna, it, it, it's a tough one. Yeah, but I, I really do think that there has to be some sort of um, law and order. I mean... I mean, you know, they, 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 these problems do persist, like public urination and stuff like that. Seriously, in, I mean, I'm not saying we should go all Singapore and find these guys like 20,000 rand for doing it, but we should at least um, have some order, you know? I mean, at least if you're not going to have, if you're going to stop these guys from doing it, at least create some more public toilets or something of that nature and, and encourage the right behavior. So, yeah, good luck, man. I, I hope uh, I hope you win, and uh, I'd like to see a uh, cleaner city. Pumi gets. Pumi gets. Me, uh, yeah, go ahead. It, it just like you know what? Yeah, I, I I had the luxury of traveling all over the world for for eleven years, and you know people say, "Look, we're not the only city with a problem." But you know, if you go to Tel Aviv, or you go to Porto, Lisbon, you go to Alhambra, you go to the Taj Mahal, you go to Machu Picchu, uh, you go to the pyramids. All of those areas are, are defended. Because we can't make money anymore from selling cooks and fat cook. You, as the Portuguese can't make money from selling 
sardines. We sell tourism. Tourism comes here. People invest in this in this country with and our property values go up mm. with the with the increased property values. There's more money we pay into the coffers of the city who can then assist our impoverished community. It's a win-win for all. But it's not reasonable that a a, a community that's a pristine area has to yeah. be subjected to this decay no. and harassment. Bulldoze People are them, hurt. them into the sea is my point of view. But Pumi, you get the last word. <laughs> no, I think I mean I, I think it's wonderful to see people standing up and saying that there's a different way to do this. And good luck to you, you know, Paul. Really good luck to you. And I hope that more of the citizens around you actually do stand up and hold the city accountable. Right. Do you know that I'm not standing as an independent? Who are you standing with? Who are you standing Who are you with? with? So this is the first time I'm going to be disclosing this. This is very private. Go on. It's breaking news. Go on. It's breaking news. I'm standing with the Freedom Front Plus. Okay. All right. Well, after meeting, I spent uh, nine. I've spoken to every from UIM. I've spoken to Herman. I've spoken to Neil De Beer. I've spoken. uh, I was called in by Michael Bagram, the DA. And the only party that I could find that would allow me to be a leader and understand my community and not hold me accountable because I'm, I mentioned the word grime or a vagrant was the Freedom Run Plus. Good. But not only that, I started enjoying the whole philosophy about supporting minorities. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone says, oh, Freedom Run Plus, that's an old Afrikaans organization. Sure. Almost they, 70% they, they percent of the award candidates yeah. – of people of color, it's incredible, and they're defending the you minority. See, Whoever wants to, if Paul, he, who wants to protect, yes, my friend. Yeah. No, this is great. I mean, listen, I, I think the more, the more interesting our political microcosms in these tiny places and wards and municipalities become the better. Eventually we'll all get to see that all the ideology and all the branding and all that crap is absolutely unimportant. Pumi says this all the time. We want service delivery. So if, if, if your service delivery is going to come through the Freedom Front Plus, more power to you. And I think uh, you know we're all agreed that we want to see more people like Paul Jacobson on the political field and we want to see them playing hard because we need people who've actually got balls at this stage. So good luck to you, Paul. Nice to have you on the show. Yeah, and we're Thank glad you. you found a party that that shares your ideology. Right. More than just shares your more than just shares your skin color, more than just shares your past, but fa- shares mm. your ideology and that's what everybody should be looking for. Awesome. I made it quite clear I don't want to be a political sausage. I'm not here. I'm here to serve my community. The moment, no, no, the moment I'm, I move into the arena of being a politician, then I'm out of here. I've warned all the, every party that I am uh, um, engaged with. I'm not here to be anyone's handlanger, a political person. I'm here to serve my community as small as it may, it may be or big as it may be. That, right. I'm, I'm dedicated I'm, to my community. I've got to call this party to a close for this morning, but thank you all. Uh, Dumo, very good to have you back on the show. Paul, lovely to meet you. And Pums, we will see you next Thursday too. Pumi Mashiko, Dumo Denga, Paul Jacobson. Thanks, everybody. And just this quick message from Glenn Biederman Pam, which I think is funny. Today's today's Yom Kippur, so for for the Jewish community, they started their fast last night, but I love this. He, He put this on Instagram yesterday. Look at this. I just want to wish all my Jewish compatriots well over the fast. I hope it goes smoothly and quickly and easily. And if you ever get hungry, just remember, Moses did this for 50 days. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Cliffcentral.com